This is unreal. I mean, it can't be. Thanks. You're not really, uh... Uh... Huh, Doc? You know, this is beginning to seriously undermine my self-esteem. Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. I'm your host, Peter. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And for this episode, we are going back and reviewing an older movie. And joining me on this episode is Stephen over at the Screen Addicts. Hey, Stephen. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, you were recently on, well, not so recent, but the last time you were actually here, we did um, not the movie game, but we, what was it, the movie game? It was the very first edition of the movie game. Right. It was the movie game because Chris, your co-host, he was on for the Friends uh, trivia. He did represent uh, Screen <laughs> Addicts a lot better than I did. That's for sure. Uh, I don't know about all that, but you know, you guys. <laughs> I think you guys both brought your, uh, you know, your forte to, uh, you know, your respective episodes. I thought you did well. You and I, we uh, battled it till the end there, um, and it was a lot of fun. So if anybody uh, missed those episodes, check them out. Friends trivia with Chris and the movie game with Stephen and Amanda. Uh, who was also a guest on that one. Uh, but Stephen, you're joining me on this episode to review the 1986 classic uh, award winner of Razzie's, uh, <laughs> Howard the Duck. And I personally would like to thank you for bringing me on to this particular episode, as I will not be saying so many bad things about old Howard the Duck as you would expect, as I personally... I'm a big fan of this so-called monstrosity of a movie. Look, it's not – it may be as bad as people say, but I think, you know, they're thinking duck boobs and condoms. <laughs> and you take away some of that stuff, this is actually not that bad. Um, right. We'll definitely get into that stuff, though. But as I, I typically do on every episode, I do take a look back at the weekend of this movie's release and – Take a look at some other stuff. Um, the same weekend that it came out, that is August 1st, 1986, we also had Friday the 13th Part 6 and also a comedy called Nothing in Common with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. So not familiar with any of those. I wasn't... Uh, I mean, I like Friday the 13th, but that wasn't a franchise where I checked out a lot of its sequels. You know, I'm more of a nightmare kind of guy. I can respect that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's uh, it for that weekend. And the number one song at the time of this movie's release was Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. I wanna be oh, Sledgehammer. Is that the one where he had all the models with him? Or was that the other? Oh, what was that other Peter Gabriel song? Actually, I think that was it. I, I don't know the video, but I know it's kind of a upbeat, you know, maybe mid-tempo, mm -hmm. jazzy kind of sound. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, too, because the following week would be Peter Cetera, you know, with Glory of Love. So, oh, okay. yeah, back to back Peters there, kind of, you know, ruling the summer there. Uh, but Sledgehammer is one that I am familiar with, but not one that I know very well. Uh, but, you know, I did uh, listen to it pre-recording. I was like, okay, you know, it's one that I recognize. I, I wonder how many people actually yell at me for saying, like, man, how do you not know these songs, you know? And it's like... I, I don't know a lot of them by their titles. You know, it's just be something I've heard in movies and stuff. There's a lot of music out there to catch up with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Same thing with like movies. People are like, well, you review movies. How have you not seen such and such? Look, I, I can't watch every single movie made, you know? so I face that bit of criticism quite a bit. For one no. movie that somebody says I haven't seen, I'm like, well, I could probably drop 20 that you have never even heard of. So I don't think yeah. you want to get into this little debate, you know? Oh yeah, there's plenty of classics. Uh, I feel I don't know if I uh, review um, if I mentioned it in the previous episode where I reviewed the Hurricane with Brent over at Home Video Hustle. Let me see. They just re released Jaws uh, for their show, and neither of them has seen it. I haven't wow. seen it either. You've never seen Jaws. <laughs> I haven't seen Jaws, but my 17 year old son owns it uh, on DVD, so he's seen it, but not me. Wow, that is. 
I, I've, I've seen is, Jaws 19 more than I have seen the original Jaws. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that is uh, the, what is it, Max Spielberg classic. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone knows that one. I mean, it just came out like three years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a big hit this year. <laughs> big hit. 3D and everything. Um, <laughs> the so shark still looks fake. <laughs> it, it does, even in 2015 at the time. <laughs> but um, y- y- I'm, I'm glad that, you know, this is kind of a weird segue, but Watching this movie, uh, Howard the Duck here, I saw some similarities with Back to the Future. Yeah. I don't know if you caught some of those, but we'll definitely get into that. Um, Just a little refresher on Howard the Duck for those that have not seen it in a while. I haven't seen it in a while, but, you know, it is one that I grew up watching. Uh, I believe, you know, we did own it. My uh, younger brother and I, we used to watch this often. Uh, This is directed by Willard uh, Huck, or Huck, I, I can't pronounce his last name. Yeah, he hasn't done too much, especially after this particular movie. Um, it, it's also written by him and Gloria Katz, but uh, it's based on Howard the Duck, which is also a comics by Marvel. I, I think uh, people uh, know that because he also made an appearance in the first Guardians movie, uh, played by a different actor and everything. But this movie stars uh, Leah Thompson as Beverly. She is the lead singer of the Ch- was it Cherry Bombs? Cherry Bomb. Oh, That's yeah. right, Ch- Cherry Bomb. And let's see, nice we got uh, Joan Jett reference there. You know, yeah, th- that's the thing because it's um because they have a song, Cherry Bombs, mm-hmm. right? And it's Joan Jett and the Heart. Well, it's the the Runaways. It's, Runaways, uh, okay, right. That was their first band, so this is clearly a a nod to that nice little uh, '80s punk group. You know, I did see the movie, the the Runaways. That was very good. Yeah, yeah, I did enjoy that. Uh, Dakota Fanning and... Kristen Stewart? Yeah, her too. Yeah, mm-hmm. as Joan Jett. Um, and then we got the Tim Robbins playing Phil, uh, who is a <laughs> friend of uh, Beverly's, and he is a lab assistant. Uh, we got uh, Dr. Jennings. We'll leave him as is. Um, you know, a one-time felony-charged uh, one Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> oh, yeah, a big-time felony yeah, charge. Yeah, you know, a couple, couple other things. So uh, most people remember him as a principal from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was in Beetlejuice, among amongst other movies. Um, but this one, what uh, what is some of your memories with this movie growing up? I'm in my mid-30s right now, so I go way back with Howard the Duck. I initially watched it as a young child because, like you said, it was in 86. I was only three years old, so I didn't clearly go to the theater at three. But a couple of years later, I was very, very young when I watched it. I think I, think I was in first grade. And, you know, at the time, you see a movie like that. It's a talking, walking duck fighting monsters or whatever he's doing. So you kind of automatically assume that it's a family friendly venture. So of course my mom rented it for me and I watched it and I just, you know, it got me at that very impressionable youthful age and I just loved it. I loved every bit of it. And of course, as the decades passed, I tend to start to see the grievances that one would have with the movie, and I'm starting to kind of understand why at the moment it was such a disaster of a film, but it still doesn't take anything away for me. I still love watching that movie. I bought the DVD when it came out. I bought the Blu-ray when it came out. I just – I loved the fact that – they made an he made an appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy, as you had mentioned, and just the fact that James Gunn himself lobbied to bring that character back in, whether it was just for a cameo or anything of that matter. The fact that Howard the Duck was referenced in a big budget Disney Marvel movie was just telling, and and it's almost as if the movie would have benefited better by coming out. Today, to today's audiences who are more catering towards the sci-fi fantasy elements of certain superhero films, especially anything that pertains to a comic book and all of their storylines. So I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. And unfortunately, I don't think that – because the production value of it is fantastic. It was made by Lucasfilm. So they had a top-notch budget with great special effects and great sound editing over at Skywalker Sound. And it was just – the production of it was well done, well-casted, great makeup. I mean arguably Howard's a little uh, 
he's a little stiff and they had multiple actors playing the character and they couldn't really settle on voices. So the actors were working with the puppeteers and it was later dubbed in ADR with, um, Ed Gale's voice and, or Chip Zian, one of the two. And it was just kind of a mess of a production. So people hear that kind of thing and they just assume, Oh, well then this movie's a mess. And I mean, it is a bit all over the place and, I don't know. I still love that movie, though. I could watch it. I watched it again just because we were talking about doing this episode. So I said, you know, that's a perfect excuse to watch Howard the Duck as if I needed one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, couldn't say it better myself. Uh, I agree with a lot of the points he said. We're the same age, so I, I also watched this at a really young age. You know, the the duck boobs was never like a thing that I used to point and laugh at. I just I watched it as if it was a serious movie. <laughs> For me, it was a lot of fun. My brother and I, we'd often uh, watch this movie. Uh, we repeated some of the lines. Uh, obviously, watching it as an adult, I see how problematic uh, a lot of things are. Um, it's crazy because it's also PG, and there's definitely some questionable things in, in this movie. But uh, again, just a little refresher. Uh, Howard T. Duck, you know, he lives in Duck World, a planet that's similar uh, to Earth. He is taken out of his home planet, lands in Cleveland... Uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and I, I feel like he's just misunderstood, you know, while he's on Earth, tries to make friends, and the only friends he makes is Beverly. Phil tries to take advantage of him, to you know, for his personal gain, and, uh, you know, another thing about this movie is people often say that it's terrible dialogue, but if you consider how that this is based off a comic character, that kind of makes sense like a lot of the dialogue the the one-liners they may not be great but they are what you would read off of uh, uh, the page of a comic book you know like the, the master of quack foo and all of that stuff as as eye-rolling inducing it is as it is it that that's just how they'd come off on you know the page of a comic book so i i kind of like the dialogue now after just thinking about that you know i think if people kind of just recondition themselves to watch this in a certain way I, I think they might enjoy it a little bit more for for what it's worth um i don't put this up there with like uh the room you know where people are like oh you know it's mm -hmm. so bad it's good like i think this you know is bad in some ways but i think this movie is more enjoyable than the room like the room you have to watch as an event with a group of people like this one I watched by myself and I, <laughs> I still had fun. True. Though a lot of times I just kind of rolled my eyes or I'm just like, oh, man, that was bad. I still had fun. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, there's definitely some things that they could have done, uh, you know, to make it better. I feel in the hands of a better director, it could have mm -hmm. been a lot better. I mean, like, one of the things um, with this, like, watching it as an adult, I was like, man, why did they get a villain, like, in the second half of the movie? You know, mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time with Howard kind of, like, integrating himself into the, uh, you know, earthling civilization before they introduce, like, the Dark Overlords. Why couldn't Howard land and then the Dark Overlords land at the same time, you know, and then there's some kind of, like, um, stakes, you know, at that point, rather than, like, an hour into the movie. So that's, you know, just some of, like, my uh, minor uh, criticisms, you know, among... So, so basically, the dialogue, the, the structure, I guess, if you want to call it that, the, of the film, you know, where the, the Dark Overlords come at the very end, because... At like the one hour mark, Howard's ready to get back. He finally finds his ride home. And then all of a sudden we find out that the Dark Overlords are also uh, here. I don't know. I, I I guess behind the scenes, I'm sure it was a mess, but I really don't think it's that bad. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned the multiple storylines. It's almost as if they crammed three different movies in the span of an hour and what, 52 minutes? And it's like not all the movies are fleshed out very well. It, it, and it's a very interesting notion about the villain too. It's like, wow, this villain not only comes out of nowhere, but he is a super comic book level villain. You know, he's got, yeah. you know, telekinetic powers. He, he talks funny. He's a, I mean, he's a full on monster at the end. And, you know, I know it seems kind of like a stretch, but it kind of reminded me of Iron Man a little bit. And if you can indulge me, I think with Iron Man, Iron Man has this weird situation too where it's also uh, the 2008 Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man where 
it's basically cramming a lot of stuff in the span of one origin film where you have the setup, you introduce the character, you introduce his lifestyle, how he is, who he is. And then you introduce the fact that, Oh, well all of a sudden he's a hero and then he's trying to develop into this hero. And then in the final act, you reveal the villain as being played by, um, you know, Obadiah Stane and how Jeff Bridges, who's somewhat of a confidant also, flips on him with a 180 and becomes this you know the ironmonger and they end up having this big battle so it's kind of like yeah iron man i noticed you stole from howard the duck yeah they clearly you know <laughs> it's a marvel property so i'm sure they were just borrowing from each other it's the common setup <laughs> yeah uh let's get into the film a little bit here um so duck world is a planet of its own but i kind of like after watching it recently I like to think of it as an alternate universe. And mm-hmm. I think that makes more of a sense because I didn't know this before until watching it this time around that he's from uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah, Washington. That's right. <laughs> so so basically that's equivalent to Washington, D.C. So it kind of it made me scratch my head a little bit. How does he not know Cleveland? Because they got to have something like a Cleveland, you know, from where he's from. <laughs> if there's a Washington, D.C., Right, right. <laughs> He's from the capital of you know in his country in Duck World. Right, you know, and it, it it's funny how um, it just reminds me. I have to renew my subscription to Play Duck. I think it's about to expire. <laughs> but that is a very good point because I mean, what would Cleve? What would be the equivalent in Duck World to Cleveland? You know, I mean, I don't even foul land i don't even know it's just so funny how, like you said, and and then you know they had uh, breeders of the lost. What was it? Breeders of the Lost Art or something? Or, yeah, something. yeah. You know, and they had all these little inside things like Golden Age actress Mae West was May Nest. And just like yeah. I wanted to sit in the room of all the people trying to think of every kind of duck pun that they could possibly think. We were like, we have an opening scene of Duck World and we're going to cram in so many things that we possibly can. And we've got to go for the gold on that. And it's just funny, <laughs> the end result, obviously. But, look, we got to remember it did come out in the mid-'80s, and I'm right. sure not a lot of thought went into it to make it really realistic. But if somebody at the time was all like, you know, maybe it should be an alternate universe, it, it would just make more sense, you know? And it sure. wouldn't be, like, really a fish-out-of-water story, per se. It's just, like, things are different. Okay, well... Here, where you guys are human, and where I'm from, we're just ducks, but everything is the same. The duck out of water story. <laughs> the duck out of the water story, or duck out of the <laughs> pond. Um, but what did you think about, like, uh, did anything else to stick out? Like, I, I guess some of the th- uh, other things that we kind of learn in this opening scene is that, um, did we find out he, no, he, we find out he went to med school a little bit later on. But uh, this Howard, Howard, he's he's quite talented in many ways. He was uh, he had a band in high school, mm-hmm. uh, Howard and the Heartbreakers. So he's a musician. <laughs> yeah. uh, he knows quack foo, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and also later on, we find out that he's like a copyright, right? So he does like ads and stuff. Yeah. Apparently, they have something like France where he's from because he does a French accent. Right. I mean, he's a duck of all trades, you know, he can just really? do it all. And it is, I mean, he does tell Beverly, yeah, that, you know, he's basically, he gave up the rock star life for trying to be a rock star and she doesn't understand that. And I guess that's kind of the the connection that they're trying to bring these two characters by, that they're both kind of, you know, starving artists at heart. Like they want to have their music be known. And I mean, that kind of leads into the... Uh, whole notion of their relationship as it is it's just uh and that's definitely one of the things that at the time was probably something that couldn't and i still even think that this day it's kind of an odd sell especially as a grown-up now i'm watching i'm thinking the the you know the scene between them and the bedroom and i'm just like uh this is uh this is getting interesting in a very wrong way but uh i don't know i think a lot of that it's just character building and they're trying to establish Howard as just 
I mean, he's a duck, yes, but he's also the coolest character that you will ever see. I mean, they're trying to promote this guy as something fun, something I mean, he could just do everything. You you work in advertising, oh, he does that. You're you love music, you want to be a musician, he does that. You're in, into karate, he does that too. You know, they're just trying to hit every point that they possibly can to make people love this character and I think that's kind of an issue that they run into where in the end it's a duck, you know, from another world. And I mean, it's just one of those situations where they're just trying so hard to make you love this character. And apparently a lot of people didn't. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, they really set him up as like, he's a winner, you know, uh, th- mm-hmm. there's a, um, a message on his answering machine about this, this girl. She's like, Howard, I had this dream and, uh, you should come over here and find out what it is or something. <laughs> right. You know, so women's are still after him. I, I I don't know if it's a girlfriend because, you know, he's got like this thing with Beverly. I don't know. Um, but he does end up in uh, Biff's America, right? So his alternate 1985 is, is, is what I like to think. They got sure. this um, biker gang, Satan Sluts. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I completely forgot about them. Yeah. I mean, I tried to start a charter of my own and it just didn't work out as well as I'd like it to, but uh not yeah, slutty I mean, enough. Yeah, definitely not <laughs> slutty enough. Um and you know, it, it's funny cuz the whole everybody he meets is also too a character. You know, we had mentioned Tim Robbins who I guarantee you people who saw that movie would never in a million years imagine this guy just, you know, nine years later being in one of the greatest American-made films in the Shawshank Redemption by watching this uh, performance here. But I think he's funny. I think he's really good in that movie. But that's also a testament to Tim Robbins. He's just a great actor. So I think he's another one of those actors in this film. And Leah Thompson's good, too. I think she's good. I I think that they're just working – as hard as they can with the material that's been given to them. And I think that everything around Howard in this movie too is, is very different. Like how coincidence, I mean, what's the coincidence that Howard ends up with uh, a, a beautiful young rock star in the making, you know, like very, very unique type of a character and going to meet a scientist who turns out to be a janitor. And then, running into another scientist who transforms into a demon. Like these are very common, you know, place individuals that you don't run into on a daily basis. So I think they have to elevate the other characters too, to try and make all of this seem more important. Yeah. But <laughs> I think running into uh Beverly, you know, it's uh clearly she's his density, you know, it, it, it <laughs> right. brought them together. Um, but that's, you know, so that's one of the parallels that I see here. Obviously the, uh, I, I think clearly people were uncomfortable seeing Leah Thompson with a duck in bed, you know, as they kind of did with her and Marty in a car, uh, or maybe even in her room, same thing, right? The, the love interest is, you know, not from that time or that place. I could totally see George McFly just laying out Howard immediately, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't know quack foo. I mean, I think he just got lucky with one punch. Yeah, um, that could be it. <laughs> yeah, you know, he sucker punches Biff. I, I, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, Tim Robbins, I, I agree. I, I feel he was overboard, but look at the movie that he's in, right? Sure. He got the script. It's like, oh, there's like the, the, the star is a talking duck. Okay, I got you. You know, and he amps it up. I, I do like his character, though. He's dating, like, one of the girls from the Cherry Bombs. And mm-hmm. at one point, he said he was about to make a call. And she's like, she goes after him. She's like, Phil, he goes, no, not uh, no sex right now or something right. like that. So yeah. he clearly thinks he's a winner himself. But sure. uh, I, th- I thought he was great here. Um, one of the things is, like, I wonder how close he's with Beverly because it doesn't seem like they're too close. Because when she takes Howard to go see him at the, the you know, his place of work, she didn't, I guess she didn't know he was like a lab assistant, you know, and she was kind of like upset and Howard's like, I'm out of here. And she's like, yeah, me too. And uh, I, I got to agree with you. She's also doing the best she can with what she's got. Well, I mean, clearly with her and Phil, like, I think that they're more of a mutual friendship due to her, his relationship with the drummer of the band mm-hmm. that she's in. I think that's kind of, and I think in her moment of panic, when she some, sees somebody 
like Howard, she just is trying to scramble to think who could possibly help him. And I'm sure she was just like, well, uh, my drummer's boyfriend works at this museum. Maybe he can help you. And I think that kind of draws them together. And then, of course, as the film goes on, they're put in this just huge amount of circumstances. And I'm pretty sure it bonded them by the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely by the end of the movie. But kind of, I don't know. Somewhere in the second act, they do have a bit of a falling out, uh, Howard and Beverly, mm-hmm. you know, just over some disagreement. And then we see, I don't know, this I could have done without for the movie being as long as that it, it is, a PG movie, um, uh, assume, assuming that it's also for kids. Right. You could You could have done without, like, this whole unemployment thing. You know, where mm-hmm. he's at the unemployment office, where he goes to work at a sex club. Is, is it's that... like a sex spa or something yeah. like that. There's this couple, like, just completely, they're just getting it on in the background. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's uh, bras all over the place. And I'm like, well, this is PG. I guess it sets up the most important, one of the most important plot points of the fact that Howard can't, can't swim. swim. Right. <laughs> I know that that is one thing I got to give credit to this movie for is there is actually some decent setup. And mm-hmm. that is one of them is that he can't swim. So it's not that it comes out of nowhere later on in the movie, which. Right. It, uh, yeah, it's like when they're flying, right, in that plane. Um, yeah, they crash, and he's like, I've never heard of a duck that can't swim. He's like, shut up and save me. Yeah, he said something like, if God intended us to fly, he wouldn't have taken away our wings. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I like mean, that. There is, some, there is some witty dialogue in there, especially some of Howard's quips. You know, he comes, you know, to go back to that, he... He's pretty sharp, you know. He's very he witty, and he can he can go toe-to-toe verbally with you. And, yeah, I mean, I'm just baffled. Every time I watch this, I'm like, how is this PG? Because PG-13 was instituted. I mean, Red In Dawn 84. had already... Yeah. yeah, so Red Dawn had already been out by two years. This movie very well should have been PG-13. I mean, they don't drop any F-bombs or anything no. like that. But it's an easy PG-13 rated movie, but I guess they didn't want that. I guess they were just marketing it hard as a family friendly film. And so yeah. to get labeled PG-13, I mean, cause nowadays every Marvel movie, every star Wars movie, every, you know, typical family film nowadays is still considered PG-13 due to some level of excessive violence. So it's okay. Like you, you're still going to take your young children to see Captain America or Star Wars or anything like that. But I guess back then they were really kind of sticklers on that PG-13. They're saying, well, they're a little bit edgier, so you should very well pay attention to the content of these movies and because they're one step away from rated R. And I guess you know the producers there were like, "Oh, we need to get as far away from PG-13 as possible. Let's get a PG." And I'm sure with some of the influences that the production staff had, they were. I'm surprised they didn't shoot for G, you know, but they got their PG rating. <laughs> there's there's no way they get a, a G because no. they can, you get the one scene where like Howard goes back to the to the bar to go see Beverly and runs into Ginger, the manager. <laughs> And, like, you know, there's this implied stab scene, you know, where he takes a a couple ice picks, you know, to the, you know, through the loop of his earring. Um, I thought that was a good scene, too. But, you know, to show off more more quack foo here. Right. uh, Howard seems to draw a lot of fights um, where he goes. He does. And, you know, I'm just – yeah, even in the – what is the sushi restaurant, the – sushi diner buffet yeah, there I, the, the, the cajun uh, sushi place or something the cajun so yeah which i also do love that the chef is wearing an indiana jones in the temple of doom shirt i i've always thought that was so great and um and yeah even there the the truckers they just have to go start something with this guy and it's just like Oh, what are you? His ventriloquist dummy, you know, and it's right. just oh, they're on. over the top. The um, the T-shirt reference the uh, the director of this movie he wrote Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. So, so did Gloria was... Katz. She wrote it too. Well, That's and you right. know they also have ties into uh, American Graffiti with George Lucas. So mm-hmm. I think that Lucas and Spielberg were riding high on Katz and Hook. Um, I still can never say his name properly. Right. I don't have that any idea. Right. And so they have had ties with them all the way since American Graffiti. So 
I I don't know why they would set them up for a fall if that's what their intention was, which I don't think it was because, you know, they made a lot of success and money off of those two films. Temple of Doom, you know, is arguably a lot of people's least favorite Indiana Jones film. But I mean, I still love it, but it is a lot different than the other uh, three. But I, I feel... I feel as if they were like, okay, maybe it was a trial by fire or something. Like, if you could write this, direct it, make it a big hit. Because, you know, George Lucas had every intention of making this movie a massive success because Mm -hmm. he had just spent $50 million producing and creating Skywalker Ranch. So he was heavily in debt around this time period, even though he had already come off of Jedi, Empire, all those movies, all the Star Wars movies had already been out and released. So he was heavily in debt with this. So he he went all in and was banking on this film to be a massive success to help him elevate some of that debt that he had acquired. And unfortunately, it did the very opposite. And um, I don't know if you know this, but there's some uh, great folklore here that the implication is that Skywalker – or <laughs> George Lucas had created a animation division – at the time that he was going to produce and promote films himself, but he ran out of certain finances. So therefore he had to sell to Apple, which therefore turned it into Pixar. So Mm. all things considered, Howard the duck is somewhat responsible for Pixar animation studios. So wow. It's not a complete loss, if you ask me, because... No, not at all. I mean, look at all the massive... I mean, they're just a a minute independent film company and all, but, uh, (laughs) you know, Pixar, to this day, is still making quality films with massive financial results. So, unfortunately, it didn't work out for Lucas that way, but, you know, he sold it off and got some money out of it, so it all worked out for him. Just a few billion, yeah. Yeah, just a few billion. I mean... (laughs) I mean, that would be nice to create certain properties and just, you know, sell them for billions of dollars each. Oh, so. Lord. Yeah, we just get a fraction of that. Um, so let's let's jump to that uh, the bed scene, you know. Um, <laughs> yikes. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know where to start with that. You got you got his feathers rising in bed and. I don't know. There's this little back and forth, and I can't tell like who's actually serious or not because they both seem to be teasing one another and not really quite serious with this bestiality. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. Let's just go in here. I mean, yeah. Stop teasing the viewers. I mean, <laughs> well, I will say though, at a at a young age, and even all through my high school, college, and probably today, you know, she, Leia Thompson, is an attractive woman. So you're kind of. Oh yeah. You know, noticing this and then – but when you start to peel the layers back of that scene, you're like, okay, wait a second. Um, is she – like you said, is she seriously trying to seduce him? Because we know Howard is a ladies' man, so he does have a way with the ladies. But it did seem odd that while she's trying to concede to him, he kind of backs off and gets a little bit scared. So it is a really – just the fact that we're even mentioning the notion of this physical relationship taking place is just one of the most bizarre things about this movie. And I think if you eliminate this completely and just kind of make them friends, it's a little bit easier to go along with their relationship. But then – I don't know. And then they kiss. And even the doc, the scientists that come in, this – this relationship is against all the laws of nature. Yeah, you said it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and how how does one leave your door open? Right. Yeah, that's what he says. He's like, "Well, who the hell are they?" And she's like, "He's like, oh yeah, your door was open, so we just came on in. Oh, that's right. safe in that wonderfully safe neighborhood she already lives in." And oh sure, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just such a it's it it, it bore. I mean, it doesn't borderline anything. It is a pretty cringeworthy scene. It's just so awkward. And, you know, it starts with Howard playing his music, which is a good plot point. That's the kind of stuff that you should probably show, like further showcasing his talent and another thing that he can do well. But then, I don't know, is she like thinking, oh, well, that's seductive because he's a musician or – I mean it's just it's just so Yeah, he weird. was wagging that tail. He was <laughs> yeah, wagging that tail. That's, that's what it was. She, she, she thought he had a nice tush. You know, I thought it was funny too because he just played – this um this random beat that I'm assuming that either she was working on or it was like one of those that just came with the keyboard, 
But then he's all like, "Oh, it's a little something I'm working on." So, so he was working on like the Howard the Duck, like that, the synthesizer. Yeah, like, exactly. He's I got guess. a big ego that he's writing a, a song about himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who hasn't done that if you're a musician? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. You should talk about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it's a very just the scene from start to beginning is just. Whew, you watch it now, and it's just so. Uh, I don't even know how to explain that. <laughs> it's it's just so silly. You just gotta laugh, you know. Right. I mean, you have to do something just to prevent further awkwardness. Oh, absolutely. And this is where we get introduced to Doctor Jennings, and again, like unknown force was redirected. You know, the Duck World was not their target, and somehow it targeted Duck World, and that's why Howard. Uh, got brought to Earth, but I don't understand why he was dropped two miles away from the lab. I think that's what they said. It was like two miles away. Right. But I guess when they try to launch it again, this time to send Howard back, the Dark Overlords come. I don't know. I don't think, obviously, we're not supposed to understand the science. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But this is just one of those things where I'm like, why couldn't this be introduced a little, a little bit earlier on? Because... Mm-hmm. Then we get into this unauthorized experiment that they're trying to do, and then we got the cops involved, and there's just like chase going on between the cops and Phil and Howard, and then the, um, Dr. Jennings takes uh, Beverly hostage. Uh, did you have anything else on the, on the the diner scene? Um, no, I mean I thought the waitress was funny. I mean it just it's it you know, and it further showcased. Well, actually, I did when. The Dark Overlord of the Universe, who's full on taking over Doctor Jennings' body at this point, and you know there's there's some funny quipping there, but that whole scene when they destroyed that whole diner, I actually really enjoyed that because, again, visual effects, and this is Lucasfilm here we're talking about. The visual effects are really good, especially for 1986, and you know this is one of those films where they were trying out a lot of that CGI and type of. Uh, uh, you know, mixing it in with real life stunt work. And I thought it worked out pretty well. You know, the, he's throwing people through glass windows, through doors and making the butcher knife fly around. I just, I really enjoyed that sequence. I always thought it was kind of cool. I mean, why would he just waste so much time destroying this place? I don't know, I guess for further actions, I suppose, but he really didn't have to do any of that. But other than that, you know, that just kind of <laughs> ran its course as well. Yeah, I I did notice that, I mean, they had real roasted duck hanging as well. That looked quite delicious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that butcher knife, that effect, whatever they did, I thought that was pretty amazing. Even mm-hmm. like some of the um, the CG work with uh, Dr. Jennings. I mean, he, he had like David Lopan eyes at one moment. You know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're shooting sideways. You know, I thought it was actually yeah. pretty cool. Uh, everything looked pretty good in that scene. Yeah, there was a kid, uh, the kid with the family. He was wearing an Empire Strikes Back shirt. I always thought that was kind of fun, too. Oh, I completely missed it. Mm-hmm. So, Phil got arrested. Well, he was taken from the lab because, remember, they broke into the lab. It was, like you said, an illegal experiment. It was a, it was unauthorized. So they oh, broke right. into the lab to send Howard back. And upon that, the explosion went off. When the Dark Overlord came down, and <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous when I they start describing, yeah. but you know, and then he comes down, and that's when the police are there, and they're doing their investigation, and the cop in charge of the in charge of the investigation is Paul Guilfoyle, who was in CSI, you know, crime scene investigation for many years. As he's got a I lot of hair, captain. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of hair in this. It's like and blonde, it, right? Wasn't he yeah, blonde? It, yeah, I think so. And it's like watching George, uh, Jason Alexander in old 80s movies, like when he actually had hair. It's so bizarre. It really but is. It, it's funny seeing him in that role. I'm like, buddy, you were about to play this role for a very long time, so you might as well enjoy it. I, I thought it was actually nice seeing uh, David Paymer as well. As well, Like I didn't, yeah, I didn't remember him being in this movie, and he was just in The Hurricane that I just recently reviewed as well. Um that I like that guy. You know, he's great in everything he does here. In this movie, he just plays, you know, just a small role as another scientist. Um, I do. So we already talked about like the where Howard busts Phil out and they're flying back uh, to the lab, and so they get back to the lab and they're. I guess um, Phil knows about like this neutron disintegrator that's like locked up in some room. 
I like how right. they're tr- they're trying to get into this uh, room, and Phil doesn't remember like the the, the passcode to get in. Mm-hmm. And Howard does this like roundhouse kick to the door and just like opens it up. Just quack through, man. Quack through, I guess. Very quack strong. <laughs> it's almost like the one inch punch, you know. It's like a one inch kick, <laughs> and uh, you get the door open. Right. But I don't know. It, I I just thought it was one of the. The, the the silliest things just to go get this this weapon that hasn't even been tested yet, but you know it's all fine. Um, the Dark Overlord, I thought it was interesting how it shows up and it seems to know everything. And I thought about this kind of long and hard, and I was like, you know what? While it was possessing Doctor Jennings' brain or body, it it was accessing like all the information in his brain, and that makes sense to me. You know, I'm okay with it at that point. Like, how does he know? Um, about the key code. How does he know about bringing his fellow brethren from wherever the hell, you know, he said that they're from? They actually had a planet too. Sorry, with an S. I forget, but it was, it's kind of cool. So I, I kind of like that. Like, I think th- there's just so much going on. Like, this could have been a really good story. I used to be able to do a Dark Overlord impression, but I don't know. I think my voice got deeper or something, <laughs> but I used to say it all the time when I would watch because I would watch it so often that I would recite the lines at the same time, but I don't know. <laughs> this is a long time ago. And I do think that there's a certain physical limitation of how much of that actual Dark Overlord you can fit in one human body because I know you know the final reveal this thing is a massive monster like it is huge so I'm thinking how was all of that in Jeffrey Jones I know he's about six two six three but come on it kind of reminded me of Men in Black how you know the monster takes over Vincent D'Onofrio's body and you see him at the end it's just this big giant bug and you're like okay. That makes a little bit more sense, I guess, because that monster isn't as big. But this Dark Overlord is huge. He's like a so couple like, stories tall. Yeah, he's a massive monster. He's like Rancor level big. So I'm thinking, how did all of that fit in that one man? I don't know. But you see, you see some of its physical appearance while he's still embodied in – uh, Dr. Jennings, like for example, when he needs energy, and this, <laughs> I can only just, I mean, just this phallic looking, yeah. <laughs> just thing come this word one one thumbnail at the end, one of it. <laughs> yeah, one long nail comes out of his throat <laughs> to charge into the cigarette lighter, and I was just okay, you know, that's that's part of the Dark Overlord, I assume, because I don't think that was there before, and other than that, you don't really see any of its physical presence until the final reveal. So I don't know. I I don't know what I was expecting when you actually, when you watch it for the first time, it's been so long, but I was, I don't know. Maybe I thought it was just a smaller creature, kind of like alien. You know how when the alien hatches its eggs inside of you, it's just the chest burster, which is a small, you know, but from a physical range, it could very well fit with inside your chest cavity. So when it comes out, you're like, Oh, yeah, size-wise, that makes sense that it would fit in there. But I don't know. I just always had a problem with that. This is like uh, old, uh, you know, Incredible Hulk's pants. Like, how did right. those? How is that the only thing that stays onto this massive beast body? But spandex. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but but you're right. The, the the sheer size of the Dark Overlord. I that was always a problem I had too. Like, because when he exits the body of Doctor Jennings, Doctor Jennings is like all fine and intact and alive. I, I would imagine that he bursts out of that body, killing Dr. Jennings. So if they are going to go with the possession, you know, um, way or, you know, p- possession of the body, it should be more like a, like a, some type of aura, you know, this, mm-hmm. this dark overlord, uh, as opposed to like this big physical appearance. Right. It made no sense. Yeah. Cause like any other possession type situation, it's never, a physical embodiment that you see at the end. It's always some kind of spiritual unknown entity that either is vanquished or just stays inside. But, you know, I guess if you are going to reveal something like that, it it would make a lot more sense for it to be size wise. But I guess, you know, it wouldn't have looked as fun. And plus all the powers that it has, like, where does it, generate this type of energy like it comes out of its tail it comes out of its fingers his hands have those long weird um 
graboid like worm things that come out of his hand i don't know it's just it was a creature that they had created to just say hey well it could do this it could do this it could do this too why not yeah sure and i don't know i i do like the final sequence between howard and the dark overlord where howard is on that um i don't know i guess it's some kind of like motorized van or like cart or like something a, yeah like a little cabbie you know to transport I mean, people in and if you sit in it, Howard sits and fits in that thing perfectly. So you can't be <laughs> taller than four feet to even ride the thing. So I think that was their way of trying to make a little duckmobile toy that they can sell. I like and that. It, it, you know, and it would come with uh, Howard the Duck action figure or something. You know how the old Batmobiles would come with one little Batman and Bruce Wayne that fits perfectly in because I was like trying to picture someone like Tim Robbins who's what like six four six five trying to ride that little thing. I mean it's just a clown car at that point, but I, I always I thought even, that was funny. I didn't even think about that. Uh, but back to the Dark Overlord being as scary as it looked, you know, like kids would be scared of that. You know that I mean I know it looks really fake and. Mm. Um, but also, what I do like is they throw in a little levity with uh, Tim Robbins' character, Phil. Like, he passes out, like, three times. Like, he'll wake <laughs> up <laughs> yeah. to see the monster, and he just, like, passes out. So I, th- I thought <laughs> yeah. that was pretty funny, too. And I like how he has some moments, too, of heroism. You know, when uh, the Dark Overlord's shooting all those lasers at him, and he uses that satellite dish to block and save Howard. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I-, I like that they give him something, too, you know, where he's just not the goofball trying to help Howard. But he actually does help Howard. And, you know, I speaking of the, you know, the appearance of the Dark Overlord, like I loved how the makeup work on Jeffrey Jones by the end of that, you know, mm-hmm. before it, it, it full on leaves his body. Like he looked he looked just as scary. If you, I thought he was scarier as Dr. Jennings in the in the end before he was actually the Dark Overlord because he just looked all, you know, his clothes were disheveled. He had these fang fingers, his his skull had started to protrude from his head. Just some really good makeup work there. You know, again, I keep saying it. You know, the production value was on point in this movie. They were really trying hard to make something. And and it's not like like you had brought up the room. Like that's just you know it just didn't none of that worked. It worked right. for intentions that it wasn't trying to. But this one here. Like, they really tried. You know, you had a group of people. I mean, this is Universal backing it. It's Lucasfilm backing Mm -hmm. it. Like, you had a lot of quality filmmakers trying their best to to do something different, to present the audience with something. And it just did not work. And But luckily, over time and decades, it became a cult classic. Otherwise, they wouldn't release it on DVD. Otherwise, they wouldn't release it on Blu-ray. You wouldn't be able to buy it on demand, you know, but it's there because the audience is there now. And I'm grateful for that, you know. I think I'll watch it again for sure. I mean, you only got two duck boobs, right? You got the play right. duck and then the, right. the bath scene. So, you know, you fast <laughs> yeah. forward that. I think a lot of the jokes will still uh, go over the kids' heads. Um, I... Before we recorded, you know, I was pulling up the Wikipedia page to read up on some things. And I, you know, and you mentioned it earlier too, but I had no idea that it came out on Blu-ray just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, did it come with any kind of like special features? Well, what's funny was that the DVD that they released for the very first time it came out on DVD. I want to say it was like 2009, 2010. And on that DVD, they stacked it with a lot of features, a lot of behind-the-scenes features, some new interviews. Uh, I think there's even commentary on there by the writer director. I mean, it was pretty. It was it was a nice little um, nice little special features. But unfortunately for the DVD release, they didn't do anything new. They they remastered some of the the previously existing special features from the DVD. So there was nothing new, but no deleted again, scenes or anything like that. I think they had some deleted scenes, but nothing, hmm. nothing that wasn't on the existing DVD. So, mm-hmm. cause when they brought that DVD out, I mean, that was a big deal cause nobody ever thought that it would be made into DVD, but then the audience, the cult classic that it became, you know, people wanted it. There was enough demand. So universal produced it. And, they they packed it pretty well with with features. So unfortunately, the Blu-ray it's remastered in HD, which it looks great. 
But as far as new features, there's nothing that wasn't outside of the DVD release. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into it because I, I don't own it anymore. But uh, I definitely <laughs> – that's funny for me to say. I definitely want to own it. Um, yeah, but I'll definitely uh, <laughs> see if they have it on Blu-ray. You know, if sure. it's less than 10 bucks, I, I think I'd get it. Uh, yeah. I think it, it, it has enough nostalgia for me. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I actually – I kind of dig the soundtrack. You know, the yeah. – you know, Hunger City, and even that uh, ballad that's playing. I guess it's not really a ballad, but it's a slower song that plays when they uh, first meet and they were about to go their separate ways. Oh yeah, you know the one that Beverly ends up singing later on as well. Um, yeah, I she did I, her own singing. She did Leah her, yeah, yeah, she did, she did absolutely. Sing. But yeah, they because I I know I read something that she wasn't sure if they were gonna use it in post, but they ended up doing so. And I think it's better. Like you, you could tell that's her singing. You know, I think yeah, she does a sure. really good job. Um, so at the very end, apparently, uh, they asked Howard to be the manager, and somehow he gets them like this really big venue, and they have like a lot of fans now. Yeah, I guess. And Did some time felt, pass we didn't know about? <laughs> I suppose, but I felt really bad for Jer- Cherry Bomb because when Howard accidentally inserts himself into the show by hopping onto that lighting system and then it pulls him down there's some nice little uh effects there with moving lights and stuff and then phil gives him a a guitar and then he just starts wailing on it like marty mcfly did the enchantment under the sea dead so you can tell there's a nod because i even think he's wearing the same suit well no very I guess similar very, it's like old style style and um so he's wailing on it and then the crowd just erupts so i'm thinking um you're totally stealing all of cherry bombs thunder and you're probably gonna have to be the lead in this band now because apparently everybody was just showing up to see a duck play a guitar <laughs> I mean, I would too if I heard yeah. there's there's a duck manager that might be playing. I mean, yeah, I mean he's he's doing moves like Marty, and I like how like Leah, or uh, Beverly in this case, she's also kind of mimicking some of those moves back. Right. I really do like that uh, the ending there, and uh, yeah, the the ending, you know, it was fine. I I do wonder, you know, what happens after this movie, or you know, is 2018 now in, in Cleveland? Is, is there? Is there like <laughs> duck human babies like walking around? I mean, that's the other thing too. Like, I guess one thing I didn't really quite notice, and I forgot who it was that pointed it out to me uh, some a little bit, maybe a couple years ago, that they pointed out that his eyelids don't have like feathers or anything. They're just right. straight up, you know, like skin color, well, plastic. Yeah, lid. yeah, and it's it's creepy looking. It is so creepy yeah. looking. Uh, my co-host over at We Got Five, Devin, he hates this movie because he's um he said Howard the Duck like scared him as a kid. Oh yeah, and I was trying to get him to like send me like a uh, like a voice note or something to talk about it. He didn't <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even want to talk about it. He didn't it. even want to talk about it. He's thirty years old and he's he's still scared of this. Like sometimes when he's like uh, trolling me on Facebook, I'll uh I'll post his meme of Howard the Duck. <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I think that'll settle the argument real quick. You know, some of the animatronics that they used for the face, like when he gets mad, like he gets really mad, and it looks it looks like he's really upset. So it's I, I can kind of see as a kid, like looking at his eyes, like because that's when his eyes do that like, kind of you know that scowl type of a look. And I mean, there's nothing you could do with that mouth. Absolutely nothing can be done with that mouth except kind of open it up and down but you can light a match on it yeah exactly that's right (laughs) you can give beverly kisses (laughs) the other thing i really like um i mean this is kind of going to what you were saying uh, like the production value the everything they make howard do it's like it's it's legit like all his facial reactions i mean like the one point where he gets pushed into the um, into the the jacuzzi with that couple you know getting it on he's like spitting out water uh he drinks beer even you know Mm -hmm. so yeah they they make him do a lot of different things and i I do appreciate that though i mean again to what you're saying they they were really trying you know whether whether it worked or not you know that's hey i don't know a lot of cooks in the kitchen or something yeah probably so did you uh stay at the very end for the singer 
Um, the no, there, there's no stinger. I mean, it was no, a Marvel was about, movie, so it was a bad joke. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I fell for it a hundred percent. That was a great joke because oh, thank you. <laughs> I was about to go and put the DVD in right now. I was like, Are you meaning to tell me that there was a post-credit scene for this movie all this Back time and I never knew about? It. <laughs> right, because like you said, yeah, Marvel, that's their thing. I thought if if I if that was the case and Marvel had done this. Almost 30 years ago, well, now, yeah, more than 30 years ago, and they completely beat everything, you know, beat all these popular superhero movies to the punch. I would have just been elated to tell some of my just diehard Marvel fans this news, but I, I almost want to go check now just to be yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I'm you know? <laughs> just, just on the safe side. I'm like, you know, I'm still going to check. Yeah, I, I think I will too, because um, you know I streamed it, so there was nothing at the very end of the stream. Because I was still like finishing my notes as I was letting the credits roll. I was like, nope, nothing there. So I don't know. Maybe check your DVD Blu-ray. It, it may be different. Who knows? Um, especially with the Blu-ray just coming out, you know, in 2016, you never know. You know, now they 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 might mess around with some of their like uh, home releases for like older films. And, you know, a little side note on the comic books, like the comic books that I read of Howard the Duck, he's very uh, – there. there's a nice mix of him, but he's kind of like a detective too. And there's a lot of cosmic uh, circumstances because I know he shows up in certain Guardians comics just like he did in this movie. You know, he's crossed paths with Silver Surfer and just, just bizarre cosmic level characters. The Collector, he's he's mm. been in tune with him. So it's just – it's he his character is so well grained into the Marvel universe that you could slot him in any of these Thor Ragnarok type of movies or Guardians type of movies and he would fit in pretty nicely at this point now and I think I don't know I was just like I said I was hoping that you know James Gunn was trying to allude to a possible Howard the Duck character being in these movies further or maybe his own movie or something cuz i feel like now if they did it they would do it just so well and eliminate all the ridiculous stuff and just make the character a worthy comic book cinematic hero that he in my heart has always been <laughs> you know I, I don't mind seeing like another Howard something, whether he's just a character in somebody else's movie or uh, I don't know if it would be a reboot or just like a completely different like, hey, this is a, a different Howard. I don't know how I'd feel about that because I actually did like the way he looked and sounded. I mean, wasn't he voiced by Seth Green? Or yeah, something? Seth Green yeah. did the voice. But his visual look is straight from the comic book. So that's I do more. remember that. But see, we have him ingrained in our minds as how he looks in this movie because that's how we've been watching him all this time. Right. So I'm like you. It's very difficult to get past that physical appearance because that's the only – or that's the main visual image that I've had my entire life. And, you know, Jeremy that I co-host Screen Addicts with, he's – he was just so dead set on believing in his heart that this was going to happen, that Howard was going to have his own movie finally. And I don't know. I, I want to support him in it, but it's just also one of those things where I think James Gunn was just saying, hey, I love Howard the Duck. Let's just have this one moment for him and kind of move past it. <laughs> I think, you know, what could happen is – you know, on my other show, I do original remake. You know, there there have been a little bit more successful remakes in, in recent memory. You know, It, I like to go back to because that mm -hmm. was uh, very well received. And uh, my co-host, he came up with this uh, bit of a, mm, you know, he used this phrase that now I like to repeat on the show is that, uh, you know, a remake is uh, does a good job when they fill in the gaps that the previous mm -hmm. one, you know, um, kind of made us ask questions so if they can do like a, a remake of this one and just cut out some of the things that we're just like why is this in here or answer things that we always question i think it can actually be very enjoyable mm -hmm. you know uh so i'd be open i'd be, I'd be open for uh, a remake of this i would be the first one in the theater <laughs> there you go i, I may be third but I'll, I'll be there for sure so on the show, uh, I don't really like just ask like, "Hey, what do you rate this movie?" or anything like that. But I do pull like the Rotten Tomatoes, the IMDb score, and we'll kind of mm -hmm. see see how we feel about those scores. Um, 
you know, as one would assume on Rotten Tomatoes, it is rotten uh, with a 15, <laughs> 15%. Um, Perfect. I, yeah, that, that, I think that's a little bit lower than I thought it would be for sure. But IMDb has it at 4.6. So that's actually where I thought IMDb or um, Rotten Tomatoes would have it, you know, like a 40-something percent. So sure. 4.6 on IMDb and again, 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think about those there? It's it makes sense seeing sure. the history of the film <laughs> and its lauded critical analysis, but I mean that's just expected. And you know, to this day, I still talk to my peers that still don't understand why I love this movie so much, and it's 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 difficult to explain. But I'm glad you gave me the um the the space and time to do it during this episode of yours <laughs> or for sure i'm just i'm glad that you were you know a big fan of this too it, I, it, I i feel like it definitely made it uh uh much more interesting you know to uh to review this movie rather than just bashing it the entire time sure. I, re- I really don't think it's that bad 4.6 i i would feel is more in line with that i mean the dialogue isn't the greatest but again Rewatch this movie, but just think, just imagine thought bubbles around the characters, mm-hmm. and say, you know what, this, this the, the dialogue reads like comic books, um, and I don't know, I guess just forget about the duck boobs and the you know the <laughs> unwrapped condom and um, the bestiality, and I think it's still a really fun movie. <laughs> If you could get past bestiality, then I would recommend a lot of stuff for you. <laughs> Uh, but Steve, I want to thank you uh, for coming on the show. Uh, you, you, man, you, you brought a lot of nuggets uh, for sure. Um, so I definitely want to encourage listeners to go check out you guys over at Screen Addicts if they have not yet. Uh, so why don't you tell them, um, you know, where they can find the show, what you guys do, and an episode maybe to start off with. I know you guys just released one um, for uh, previewing some upcoming movies. Yeah, we just released uh, our last episode was um, a preview of the spring films coming out from January to April. We always give the exact months because once May hits, that's the summer movie season. I know summer doesn't typically begin for a lot of people, but for film viewers and cinephiles, May summer begins in May with that first opening release in May. So we're just giving you a couple of options that you can go check out and um, you know, we, I don't know. It's like all of our episodes are fun to do because I do it with my, my brothers that I've known for most of my life. And, um, you know, any episode I would recommend, I, I, our, uh, I actually had a lot of fun doing our two part best of 2017, uh, episodes, like each of them, one we did for television and one we did for films, our favorites of 2017. And I really like doing the, the TV version because you typically see a lot of favorite films of 2017, but we went back and did a favorite television programs that we caught in 2017. So that was a lot of fun. It was a little different take on stuff. And uh, I know we'll be recording something football related, I'm sure, for the Super Bowl because we're all jacks. <laughs> but um, yeah, but like you said, we're at screen addicts or screen underscore addic s on twitter and we're on instagram we're everywhere you need to be and uh yeah that's uh, that's that's us screen addicts podcast yep so definitely check the show notes i'll have links and stuff to make it easier for the listeners uh, and for me, before I get into my other stuff, there's uh, a bunch of reviews that I need to, to kind of uh, read. Um, I haven't read any in the past year, so I'm just going to read a couple uh, for this one. Uh, this one goes back uh, March of last year. This was actually left by uh, Chris from More Gooder Than, you know, previous guest on the Twins episode. So he gave me five stars and says, wanted to write something from... I'm assuming from the heart, it cuts off, so I'm not sure. And these are actually lyrics to Don't You Forget About Me. Um, so I appreciate that, Chris. And this came around the time, I think Chris started listening to the show when I put out the uh, Top 28 Songs from 80s Movies episode. Uh, that was a lot of fun with uh, Wes from Via VHS. So if you enjoy 80s music, specifically from movies, uh, that was a fun episode. I did like a Twitter poll with 28 songs, and uh, by Twitter results, I ranked those songs. Uh, so thanks, Chris, for the uh, review. And the second one comes from... Oh, Goldie. Uh, this was March 26th also. Five stars. A blast from the past. 
Uh, old Goldie says Peter does a tremendous job providing insightful knowledge and entertaining guests. His job as the main host gives his guests plenty of space to speak their opinions, and no one cuts off the other. His hosting is incredibly selfless and still gives considerable awareness of film when he needs to. On top of all this, he developed a great concept that requires much dedication. Go check it out. So thank you. That was a great uh, um, review there. I really appreciate that. And I think that actually just speaks to kind of like how this conversation went, Stephen. I, I, I feel like no one really cut each other off. And uh, you brought quite a bit of uh, things to the table here. And you're a great host as well. Oh, hey, I appreciate that. And <laughs> I'm sure you're just saying that because you're currently the guest. Uh, but... Just a little teaser now. You know, you will be returning on the uh, the following episode, which if uh, if anyone's been listening intently, we dropped one nugget that uh, teases what the movie will be next. But, um, yeah, if you guys want to carry on the conversation with me or follow any of my other accounts, I do have Instagram and Twitter, at Podstalgic. You can find me there. Um, please consider leaving an iTunes reviews for me and also Screen Addicts. If you uh, do check them out, it really helps us out, the uh, independent podcast. Check out my other content over at CortonParts.com. Sometimes I do uh, something for Music Ate My Brain, TV Ate My Brain. I covered some things. Um, and also my other show, We Got Five. So if you enjoy, you know, uh, top five lists, well, we have them. And recently we did top five words to live by. Um, kind of an interesting outside-of-the-box kind of topic, so that was a lot of fun, and um, we actually have our 100th uh, episode coming up on that show, too, so uh, check us out if you haven't done that before. It's also not safe for work, so be warned. Um, obviously, Podstatic is a little bit cleaner, so I want to thank you, everybody, for your guys' continued support. Thanks, uh, Stephen, again, for coming on as a guest, and uh, we will see you guys next time when we do another great Listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.